not even music could really solve this thing, you know. So that not even music came mm. from that right. thing, okay. thing, you know, I suppose. But just to answer, I suppose to answer your question is, I'm not ambitious and I've never, ever had that ambition that I see around me, especially see it in in the younger generation. It fills me with such kind of hope for the future. But I've never been ambitious. I've never wanted to be famous. I've never wanted that. How dare you get that gig? I want that gig. Or I've never wanted to be cast in that film or that play or that thing. Mm. It all just happens. It just happens. I promise it does. I'm lucky I've got a very good manager. But apart from that, none of it's kind of planned. It was never planned. It was always like the Bowie gig. And it was always... Accidental happen stance. Opportunity comes up and you grab Yeah, the I think so. I think so. I, it was all to do with other people. I never really hunted anything down. You know, the Cedar Walton thing, for example, the legendary pianist, was mm. nothing really to do with anything other than we hung out because I always asked Pete King and Ronnie, could I do two weeks opposite Cedar because we, I was such a fan. And I used to sit in with him. Well, that's not. That's not like a driving ambition. No, it's, it's natural. It's and then the next minute, I'm signed to the, one of the most famous record labels in yeah. the world. You know, for three albums, um, we did two because my A and R guy died. How dare he? <laughs> Fucking <Sell> rude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so oh. it's all it's all accidental, but it's all very very appreciated. And every yeah, single yeah. morning, the cliche hits me in the face. You know, no, it's amazing. Count my blessings. You know, because I do, I do, yeah. I think. This could have well, gone. you put so much back into like, like Absolutely. I mean, I'm a young artist that like, <clears throat> I cannot tell you like, you know, the the you you bring the best out in people and you provide opportunities oh, and you bring together a community of creative people, and you know, it's not like you're sitting here and you're high thrown taking it all in. You're out <laughs> no there way. providing. But what's interesting is that the amount of stuff that you guys have done. You're 33. You're 22. I have nowhere near. And I, I'm, you know, I'm so much older than you, <laughs> pups. But I, I hadn't done that when I, when I was 22. I hadn't done anywhere near that amount of stuff. You know, all I'd done by the time I was 22 was uh, I was in Cats and I played in piano bars and auditioned very unsuccessfully for many, many theatre companies. And, and you'd been arrested? I'd been oh, arrested. Yes. Oh, yeah, I'd been arrested for bombing in a bush. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, listen, if I had that accolade to my name, that would be at the top of my CV. I'd retire there and then. Yeah, I mean, was that the... What, for example, was that experience maybe... I want to get on to Callie in a bit, but we, we talk about good troublemakers a lot in this podcast, and you were around at that time of yeah. Stonewall Section 28. You, you have a relationship to Pride musically and probably personally. Mm. Um, is activism always played a part in your life if Absolutely. you could even call it that I mean what's the relationship Absolutely like? there's a there's a picture in my hall of my of me and my my, my dad um, and I didn't know what I what why I was holding the Save Our Steelworks banner but my mm. dad was right was all about it. he was a steelworker my father you know by Yeah it was many things but the, the, he got this gig in Shot and Steelworks and then Thatcher just decimated the industry yeah, yeah. Scotland yeah, really massively oh. so, you know, and so we were one of the 127 uh, steel works that got shut down. Never mind the mines that's gone to 1984. Yeah, right. yeah. But this was bef- way before then. This was 1977, 76, 77. So she wasn't even in power then, but she was she was certainly in in government. Yeah, and you know uh, she. Uh, so it, it's just an automatic thing. I wish, God, I wish I could. Um, just have an hour with my dad just to ask him all the questions that I never asked him. Like, mm-hmm. why did you like Enoch Powell? Yeah, sure. But why did you bring me down to March for... Why were you a socialist mm. but you liked Enoch Powell as well? Mm. Yeah. All these kind of mixed things, the sort of... Did you know I was gay? Right. Yeah, did you, right. When you squeezed that Andrew, my Andrew, on the shoulder at... BBC Live Leads right. when I was interviewing Lulu <laughs> I wasn't even singing Did you, and you said nice to meet you lad did you Is know that, that we that were together yeah, yeah, yeah. this unspoken stuff did you read my letter that I put in your jacket in your coffin did you read mm. that letter I'd love to have that that's the only conversation I haven't had with my father you know we didn't re- we, we weren't really we didn't really 
we weren't really close, my father and I, but he, I respected him and he respected me and he was very proud of me, especially when I did music, you know, especially mm. big bands because he was a horn player. You know, yeah, so yeah, was, that culture. Yeah. Did you come, were your parents musical? Are no, your parents musical? No. No. Um, f- um, my music teacher was Callum Gurley's dad, actually. So it was a music teacher thing that was I was drawn into and actually it was really nice because it felt like it was a thing that was just mine so you know my parents loved music but not jazz so it kind of felt like I could find my own way and no one was saying you should listen to this you wow. should listen to that yeah. Yeah. now the, f- the older I get the more I appreciate the music that I did have growing up you know because my mum was like George Michael completely glamorous mm, like mm, club mm. kid and like I remember being so young and having like a VHS tape of a Michael Jackson concert from the Dangerous Tour that we watched until it like melted. Then a David Bowie tape of the Glass Spider Tour. And wow! Then, <laughs> and we would just like trade them in and out the, the video player. And then I remember once asking why why Eddie Izzard had lipstick on. And mum saying, well, why not? And it was like, that was the whole conversation. Why not? <laughs> and I was like, yep. Yeah. But I agree with you. Yeah. And like, but I, I so appreciate all that stuff and I think that's like, for both of us, we've talked a lot about mm. that kind of thing. Oh, like I love like, that. Because yeah. sometimes I feel the same thing about, you look back to those mov- those movements, cultural and political movements, and sometimes I lament that the arts has moved away from like political movements a yeah. little bit. So that yeah. Yeah. you don't see them move hand in hand as... In the same way, and I, I wonder where the the fire is in people's bellies in that mm, same way, in that mm, kind of bravery. Mm. But I get, and I think in retrospect, we'll we'll look back and we'll see it. We just can't see it now. But I just think all it's framed those, differently. It's, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's it's yeah. framed differently. But like I can imagine, like the that connection with your dad, like I guess was the brass band thing. Yeah, it was. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is like a massive kind of social huge. Mm. It was everything. Yeah, it was the world's yeah. moved around that brass band. Were thing. you brass band? I did a little bit of it, but I but didn't. School sort of grow, mostly grow, orchestra. Yeah, and I didn't sort of grow up in it, but it, and it's a very particular, specific, yeah. kind of slightly weird world. Yeah. Um, quite macho, like working yeah. class oh, yeah, men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Northern. Yeah, yeah. And Welsh, yeah. you know. But really, is. Is one of the real kind of examples of art and culture yeah. really existing as a mm. survival Well, and tool, these are the same right? yeah, yeah, not yeah, just yeah. as a nice <clears throat> to have. This was like <clears throat> a way of life and honed. Yeah, I mean, we were. I played in Flint Silver Prize Prospect. You know, I played soprano, which was just the most ridiculous instrument. Only one of you in the band, and if you if you mess up. If you if you split, you're gonna note, hear it. You can Everyone's hear it. gonna hear it for miles. And my dad pushed me into that. He said, "You've got." He said, hey, "Yeah, you know, Ian can do that. Put him on soprano." So I, was, I went through the ranks. So second cornet, first cornet. Um, I never got to solo. Um, flugel didn't agree with me. So, yeah, Rapiano. Yeah, yeah. Ten horn. What? That's not an A. <laughs> 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 There's no Just way. Just keep that searching. Me. Just keep yeah. searching. Yeah, it's got to be the gayest instrument, hasn't it? Ooh. Yeah, purse your lips, purse your lips. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you're right. It is about. It's about. It was. It. It was art. It was culture, yeah. and it was a survival um, a technique. Not technique. It was a device that. Yeah. It kept families together, didn't it? Like a folk tradition in a really kind of. Well, true also sense. like protest music is is something like music being a part of. The bringing together of people and then like pro- both protest or sense of community or festival or whatever or storytelling and yeah yeah I think like we see it time and again and and, and when you're in it you don't realise it's like we look back all the time yeah and yeah, 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 yeah it's not necessarily that people are aware of were you, you know, driven by music from a tot was it always yeah in your, yeah your, people say oh oh when did you start singing and you can't remember not singing. came out the womb. No, yeah. but I can't remember not singing. I genuinely can't remember. Yeah. But I wasn't. I wasn't forced into. You know, my family is so similar to Kim. They love mm. music. There was mm. always music on. There was always parties. Mm. You know, my mum vinyl. But nobody was like 
making a living doing anything right. remotely mm. creative, mm. you know, mm. per mm. se. Um, and I'm so grateful that I had the upbringing I did because it, it was never, there was no expectation. I think our parents were quite me. similar and just like, just go and do whatever you yeah. fancy and do. Just it. be happy. Like and it was, yeah. I was so privileged to have that free <clears throat> reign and, and the, the resource to have that free reign. I wasn't pushed mm. into, you know, get out and learn a trade at 14. It was, you know, I was able to have private piano lessons and mm. kind of, I don't know, go through all my ages and stages and figure out who I was. And, mm. And I love that my mum comes to see gigs and, and mm. doesn't actually have insight into necessarily what goes into what mm. I do, but has mm. the outsider's mm. perspective mm. to be mm. so proud and appreciative as a punter and as my mum. And mm. I don't know, I just love it. I thank myself every day because I know people that went to music school, like for high school, and whose parents are both in orchestras. And, blah, 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 and yeah. I just think it, it would really kill my vibe. Yeah. And I there'd did. be a horrible hangover of expectation. Yeah. Though. When I was like, I think it was in my second year at college, I did this, um, you know, Linder Sterling, the artist. Yeah, yeah. So I did this like big kind of performance art piece with Linder where it was like 13 hour performances of like, it was called the Dark Town Cakewalk. So a lot of it was to do with like oppression in different forms. So she'd kind of made this kind of arc. So there was dancers that had kind of improvised story arcs. So there was people who were oppressed by fame and people who were oppressed by kind of uh, racist society. And it was was a lot, there's a lot going on. Mm -hmm. And the plan was like, it would be about six and a half hours of character development and then about six and a half hours of kind of descent into madness. But like 45 minutes in, the character development went out the window. So it was like, oh Christ, we're going to be like 12 hours of... So uh, it, the first time we did it was the real arches, uh, the arches in Glasgow. I and remember you telling me about this. My, I, and my question was, what happens when you need to go for a pee? You're doing a party. <laughs> and there was like, you know, I remember Linda coming out with like a gun that was like half gun, half dildo. Like there's a lot of knobs everywhere. Um, and my mum and dad came and... I remember saying, might not be the one for you to come to. Yeah. But they did. Yeah, they came. They they came came. like, came at like 9pm or something, 9 or 10 hours in. We were full into a thing. There was like a, a a reverse striptease artist who started off naked and put her clothes on, but she was painted completely gold. (laughs) Gorgeous. And then there was this lady (coughs) who was this kind of eternal child and, when my dad entered the room, this lady like went and stroked his face. Now, Scottish man, certain generation. Oh, I. There's not much touching overall. No. Even if you're yeah. married. Even, yeah, yeah, I, even with the people that you've. Yes, yes, absolutely. So certainly not you who have just clocked as a. So my dad just turned around and went out again and sat in the car. Did <laughs> he? <laughs> and then my mum like, was in it and she was loving it. And then afterwards, my dad said, is this what we paid for music college? Oh. <laughs> and and you mom, said, yes, it uh, is. Yes, it is. Correct. Yes. Uh, and, but it was this, the thing you said about you respected your dad and, and he respected you, even though it was a very different thing. I think that's a similar thing. Like, yeah. That was when we came to a point where it was like, you don't have to come to my gigs. You don't, no. But I understand that you support what I'm doing. Yeah. It's a silent contract, I think, that parents have with kids, or they don't. Yeah. You know, I think it... I think if they do, then we're lucky to have that, you know. And it, like the same, my parents came to all sorts of things. And the, the, my, my father's favourite thing in the world was Julian Clary. Because right. I've known Julian since, you know, Queen Elizabeth I. Mm-hmm. And he, he just loved him in the I same way that, that he loved That's Larry amazing. Grayson yes. and John yeah, Inman. Yeah. And it was almost like these, there was a plane, there was a sort of a celestial plane of, Homosexuals who were very interesting and 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 very glamorous and glittery, captivating. But they weren't real. Mm. And I think that 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 did it for my father. It made it okay. Well, it's made safe. it okay. It's safer, isn't it? it? Okay. It's just yeah. yeah. It was yeah. It was a safe plane of of trajectory, you know, for my father to. He loved. I mean, he loved Julian, you know, and Julian was very aware of it and made, got even gayer and camper. I think yeah. You know? well, that's the incredible thing about someone like Julian is like the dig into that even more you know and it's amazing yeah. it's really amazing to see of you know and they get away with murder they do you know you would never have 
straight couples laughing at those kind of jokes if anyone else was to tell them but you know exactly <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. or like take, getting ripped right yeah. into people in the most beautifully funny and charming way yeah. and it's yeah the first time I played at Ronnie Scott's my mum and dad came obvs you know they were very proud of what I did and I was 23 when I played at Ronnie's so similar, similar age to you and um uh I went in for my sound check and I thought, I want to take Dad in because I want to show him around the club and show him all the photos on the walls, yeah. you know, with the permission of Pete King and Ronnie Scott. And Ronnie wasn't there, but Pete was there. And he was sit- sitting in his desk in the old foyer. And I went, Pete, this is my dad, this is Vic, and this is my mum, Megan. Welcome, welcome. He said, welcome, welcome to Ronnie Scott's home of British jazz. <laughs> Your son, Ian Shaw, homo of British jazz. Ah! <laughs> So I just thought, cheers. Thank you. Thank you, Jazz. And Thank I'm... you, Jazz. And I have, to this day, obviously, I'll never know really the turmoil or not that my father experienced in that. But there you go. Point. From my, that my day on, you... And, and that they had a great it. night. Had you had to live night, your you know. truth. They had a great night there. That's gorgeous. That's incredible. <laughs> and my father was obsessed with Guy Barker, so that made everything fine. You know, he had Guy Barker's first album on Verve, Blue Note, one of those labels. Yeah. So when he met Guy Barker... Another everything dear friend was, of yours. Yeah, everything was healed. You know, he said, Do you know that, that lad, Guy, Bar- Guy Barker? I went, yeah, I do know him, yeah, because we worked with John Dankworth and Cleo Lane together in the same yeah. section, you know. Because oh. I, I did the Mel Torme with, with yeah, yeah, Cleo, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, she did two albums with Mel Torme, Mel Torme, and Mel Torme died, so I took over and did the Mel Torme. <laughs> I was her Mel Torme, wow. which was very funny because she'd be doing, ooh, wee. I took a trip on a train and I thought about you and I would impersonate her and I go I passed the shadowy light light I, 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 oh, I, I, I love her I love her I love her she's gorgeous the whole family I love them all Jackie and Alec and they're gorgeous amazing yeah, Emily of course you know don't you yeah yeah Guildhall alum alum yeah. amazing amazing should we talk about what was that let's talk about yeah <clears throat> go on I was going to pivot to the back to the Cali yes Jungle. Troublemaking. Yeah. yeah good. good troublemaking. Yeah. Well, it's, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I first went to, as close as I could manage, really, with, with a sort of um, freelance career as a musician, actor, whatever. So I first went to Calais in 2000, January 2000, when it was uh, uh, Iraq conflict. And the, the Red Cross had set up an enormous, huge warehouse, and there were... 2,500 refugees in there and I just volunteered right. like many of many of us did and then and I was down on the I lived on the coast so it was it was easy for me to get there and then in 2015 and 2016 the image of um, A-line Curdy the baby yeah. nose nose down in the beach and I just thought like we all thought yeah. I thought shit it's still there it's all there it's still happening and I'm just gonna go really because it's easy for me to go and I went and I stayed pretty much for the best part of a year Mm. I guess because you meet people who are in the worst imaginable human conditions Mm -hmm. you know but making the most of everything and not knowing what to do next and completely trapped and the frustrations that we all that we all felt as volunteers we couldn't quite they couldn't be manifested until we uh, until we gave our blessing to say okay if you want to come to the UK we can't help you we can't help you with that bit but if you do manage to get to the UK this is our number these are our telephone numbers and we will be there for you yeah. until we all die and, yeah, and, yeah. and we are basically so I met Mostly women, volunteers, mm. 72% of the voluntary sector are women. Um, and we formed a charity within six weeks. I got a phone call from, again through music, a jazz singer called Dave Tuan, T-U-G-H-A-N, uh, gave Katrina Kiefer Wells, who's this extraordinary mum of two little lads, who saw the image of Ilan Kurdi, and just rang all her mates in Essex and said, what the fuck's going on here? There are kids in that camp, you know, let's go, let's go. 
let's go and find the women mm. first. Find the women, which is what, what they did. So I got a phone call and I was build, just knocking tarpaulin in yet another shelter that was about to be probably raised to the ground within three days. And he's shivering, you know, Afghans, Somal- uh, Somalians, people from Chad, Eritrea, Ethiopia, uh, obviously Syria. Um, just caught they'd gone up they'd gone did, 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 88 days to get to Calais yeah. which is Croydon with cheese mm. I mean yeah. it really is yeah, yeah. it is such a bizarre crumbling sort of 1950s villas mixed with that's Latuque that's the bit that we used to own and we now don't own it oh do we yes we do and then there's a right wing mayor and the, she'd allowed this chemical dump to be a safe haven for refugees because that's where they ended up yeah, like yeah. water yep. so if you put water and then you tilt the tray it's going to end up in that corner and it can't get out and on the map on their maps on their phones they thought well it's easy we just go we step over, over and go yeah. to the UK because we speak the language we've got friends there we've got family there some of them mm-hmm. and we can't go back because we'll be killed yeah. frankly so we had to cope with all this kind of nonsense about... I remember the first time I met an extraordinary woman called Laura Griffiths who was with Safe Passage. And she went there just as a volunteer and she realised that her skill was children. Mm-hmm. So she discovered, as the weeks went by, thousands of unaccompanied kids that had ended up there. Yeah. Because they'd been their parents had either fallen out of boats or they'd been killed or they'd been pushed out of... Kunduz or Kabul or Aleppo, mm-hmm. Homs, and they ended up in Calais, and they were feral. Yeah. So she thought, hang on a minute, some of these kids, if some of these kids have got family connections in the UK, they, under the Dublin, they have a right under Dublin, to have been, they've got, we have yeah. to give them asylum, we have to protect them. So we sort of then started working with um, Alfred Lord Dubbs, who was the kinder transport, he's now 88, don't ever die, please, Alf, Lord Dubs. And bit by bit, we sort of did the whole kind of Marxist thing of, you know, deepening, deepening and widening. And yeah. and I, I was just so... You can't look away once you it's, start. It's you human can't, empathy, you can't, right? you can't. I just thought, I can't, I've got a gig. I'll fucking, I'll cancel the gig. I'll get... Claire Martin can do that gig. Like, I've got to stay, I've got to stay here. Mm. Um, and... Uh, it, and... It's you know we we look away we do look away yeah you know, well and we're massively privileged that we're allowed to we're yeah. able to yeah yeah because yeah because we um, had that conversation the other day didn't we we just recorded the pod and I said Kim I actually am finding it difficult to process Afghanistan right now and we haven't spoken mm, about because we mm, talk about mm. everything that's going on in our lives and in the world and how we feel about it we and both just said like I just, we just can't I can't do it and then we I said isn't it well, we both agreed that it, we're in such a position of privilege that we can say that. Yeah. Oh, I just yeah. can't think yeah. about it right now. The yeah. privilege to be able to not think about it because mm. it's not my reality and it's not my life. Yeah, yeah. But it could have been if yeah. I was born oh, yeah. anywhere different. It's birthright. The whole thing right? is, is accident. Of right? Birth. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. I guess that's what it taps into. But that's what inspires people to get up and go. Like you, it's 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 that sudden realization. Yeah, it's not of difficult. the power you have as a human being, and also the innate thing that we are. It could be any of us, and in, in this empathy, because we what makes us any better than you, and mm. like just mm. that thing that mm. we're all fucking human, and like there's just like external say, factors at play. You put yourself in it. You drove down. You were there. Mm. Then you can't look away, can you? Yeah, exactly. No. Exactly, because you're involved. Can't look away. Yeah, because no, no, yeah, no. when you're this far back, you can. Yeah. Right. No. But what you can do is you can go home and you can do a fundraiser and yeah. you can make £3,000. And that £3,000 can buy phone credit. Mm-hmm. It can buy sanitary protection for the young women. It can do so much uh, that those 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 people, they don't have anything. I mean, they end up with nothing, you know, because they've often paid people to get where they are. You know, that hideous thing about trafficking is yeah. it's just... It's it's always been around for thousands of years. People think that trafficking is a new thing. It's not. Human trafficking has been going on for you know centuries. And um, the thing about it is this: we do not. There is no way 
that anyone seeking sanctuary from persecution or political division can get to this country legally. No way. There is, we don't have any way of people getting here. There is no way. It can only be illegal. And that illegality is so fucking dangerous, you know. And that was the problem that a lot of us volunteers had was, well, you know, it's all very well, you know, we can provide gas canisters and we can do phone credit, we can go to the supermarket, Brico, we can knock up tarpaulin things, we can do gigs around a campfire, but this is all temporary because eventually and suddenly the the French authorities decided that they would destroy the town. Absolutely, over one weekend. And what happened then? 300 kids disappeared. That's what happened then. So then we thought, well, where are the... we? Uh, oh, you've got the numbers in your face, messenger, credit. So bit by bit by bit by bit, women only, I have to say. There was an extraordinary woman there called Liz Clegg. You may have seen her. She ended up in New York and she was a paramedic from the West Country and she set up this thing called the Unofficial Women and Children's Centre and her thing was to really to look after the kids, you know. But in the last, since 2016, January 2016, we have taken less than 2,000 minor um, refugees. That's shocking. In this country. That's 0.1% of the total. And they're still there. Those kids are still hiding in bushes in Dunkirk and in Calais. And I don't, I will go to my grave not understanding that. I will. I will, because we've been through that countless times. You know, the, the most obvious one was, of course, the Holocaust. Mm. And, oh, yes, of course, we, we had Holocaust denial and things, but uh-uh. we, we learnt from that, and we learnt that we're all... This country econom- economically benefits from immigration yes. in every single way. So when it suits this country to invite people to build motorways, to build hospitals, Invest to drive to and, clean up shit, yeah. to train as triage nurses, it suits us. And then suddenly it doesn't suit us, so we change our mind. And it's all about it's all about fear. It's about it's not even ignorance, it's fear. It's mm-hmm. even, you know, when Priti Patel, she is fearful of Losing her job. Of course. Well, it, it is. And that's where it ends. Yes. It's self-serving. Well, it's, it's totally. It's yeah. History, yeah. Yeah. It's just territorial. It's just like. Yeah. I've got a wee bit. Yeah. And, and I know who's yeah. putting yeah. me in yeah. this. Yeah. I know who's voting yeah. me in this job, and I'm going to keep them happy. Mm. But I find, you know, I found it really like we had that. Re- you know, we all rejoiced when Trump wasn't successful. We got Biden in. All of us, well, big group of us, thought Biden isn't our ideal no but we understand mm. this is better than Trump. it was rejoicing in, in Trump's yeah. exit yeah. not yeah. Biden's yeah. entrance yeah. 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 today I listened to him say oh yeah this about the uh, bombing at Kabul airport mm. we will find you and we will hunt make, you down yeah we will make you pay yeah, yeah. and yeah. that it made me feel it ill it is we will hunt yeah, you down yeah, yeah. yeah. oh yeah. god it made me feel ill yeah like it's like having this lovely sort of benevolent sort of family figure and then all of a sudden you hear them say something and you think, oh my God. You know, and it's True so colors. easy to to sort of forget that stuff and it, I just, I, I found it so chilling to hear the... T- you know, I In lockdown, I re-watched The West Wing and like the first episode of The West Wing is the president going, do you know what? I don't know, I couldn't hate any... I, I don't think I could hate anybody. I think I hate any country. Yeah. And then mm. the second episode, his doctor gets killed and he's like, I will hey. bomb everyone <laughs> to death. And it's like, right, where we go. We have one day. And it's so terrifying because yeah. Yeah. we could, we... That flipping... On the, yeah. on the left, we can be pleased that it's <clears throat> Biden, not Trump. But well, there's a very discernible right now, isn't there? And everything else is mush. And, you know, Orwell famously wrote about that, that, you know, the consequences of essentially evil. So it goes back to, he, he eschewed the whole thing about original sin. You know, his thing was all about very, very kind of, um, uh, you know, clean corners of sort of political thought. And this is 
but it's we, we, we are there again. We are there yeah, again. Yeah. We've got this very powerful right. It's binary and again, isn't it? Is it is getting binary. in the way of fucking yeah. everything. But anything beyond that right wall, there's no centri- the centrism never existed. No. The centre will not hold, it, does it? The centre will not hold. It's yeah. not held. <laughs> yeah, it's not, yeah. Slouching towards Bethlehem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To be born. But that the, the the anything vaguely kind of based on the notion of um Economic fairness, I suppose, as well, because it's all based on money, as we know, and power. It, it's that's become very confusing now because the left is is. It is very confusing, and I think it's modern day colonialism, the yeah. way that the West has been instrumental in these Fucking massive up. conflicts yeah. Yeah. by wading in, announcing that we'll save mm. them by installing mm. a sort of mm. safe administration. You know, and I'm, there was a there was a thing that um, the other day that talked about the fact that, you know, this was another thing Biden had said where we've done all we can for Afghanistan. Yeah, we can't do. We've armed yeah. you. We've yeah. fought alongside you, <clears throat> but if you aren't brave enough to fight with us, then we're gone. We're out. Then we're gone. And I heard someone say, like, it's as if there's a machine, and that machine requires another machine to run. We've taken the other machine, because that's the logistics and the intelligence and all of the infrastructure, the, the, the contracts that we've, that, well, the UK and the US have fed in. We've pulled all that, and now we're saying, well, how can't you? Come on, mm, off you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do this, we hobble countries, yeah. and then they're on their knees, then we leave them, and we blame them for not well, Yeah, and accepting no part, none of yeah. our part mm. in, in it. It's like, mm. we didn't do anything, you know, it's like... And oh. it's, it's grotesque. It, mm. Honestly, it's mm. grotesque. Yeah. And it it's beyond dystopian as well, isn't it? Really it? It's is. beyond all. And it's just so frightening. And then when you see the number of people that they'd evacuated versus the number of people waiting to try and get out, and it's, it's just... It's heartbreaking. There's just no... But Boris Johnson couldn't res- he couldn't help himself, could he? He couldn't help himself by appealing to the working classes, the poor North, mm-hmm. basically. Here he comes again in his high vis and his hard hat, you know, mm-hmm. to get the vote. So I'll get my private jet and I'll go to Hartlepool and I'll, I'm I'll elbow and thumbs up everyone. But he couldn't resist today. I think it was this morning or uh, this podcast has taken on a terribly, terribly treacly dark tone. But it's he good that it's all good that he used to. He, used to. <laughs> he couldn't resist saying, we will vet people very carefully. So he still can't see oh. that there is a country who, a country is so deeply destroyed. Right. It's so destroyed that the whole thing is almost like a John Carpenter film. It's kind of mutated to the, certain, to, to the, to the point where people are looking at ISIS-K mm-hmm. um, and they're, Say, oh, ISIS K, ISIS K. We never heard of that before. Oh, actually, the Taliban aren't that bad. That's right. Yeah. Relativism. Relativism, <laughs> yeah. and that's gonna that is gonna mutate mm-hmm. in such a way that any minute now, you know, there'll be a Taliban chat show yeah. on Channel and Four. And we'll be like, oh, ah, they, they are quite funny though. Oh, <clears throat> yeah. Mm-hmm. How could we think they were so bad twenty years ago? Look at them; they're darlings now. You know, compared to ISIS K. ISIS K, it's like you know, special K gone wrong. A friend, a friend of mine, um, fabulous guy called Mohib. He's from, uh, he's Af- he's from Afghanistan, and he was a he, ju- he just got his uh, MSc equivalent of it at uh, Kabul University as a, a communications engineer. So basically, he fixed phone lines, but in a very posh way, as I keep telling him. And he was hunted by the Taliban, clearly needed by the Taliban, by the regime, ended up in Calais. And now he's, he's seeing his younger brother. His younger brother has just become a fully-fledged um, policeman. Not a posh policeman, but just someone who walks the streets, something that we don't have anymore. Mm-hmm. And now his brother, who is five years younger than him, is in exactly the same position. Fucking so we're trying to get, get him to Iran, mm-hmm. basically. This is one person. You know, can you imagine... I mean, the damage that the the hinterland of this is so monumental. You know, we're talking thirty-two million people here, mm-hmm. and yet we're obsessed with bringing, still vetting people. You know, yeah, five thousand people in the next what was it? It's a thousand people a year or something. What? What? That's 
just insane, and he's bragging. Boris Johnson bragging. Well, you know, in the next in, uh, in the next five years, we will be able, we're bringing over we're bringing over uh, people from Afghanistan to the to you know to like a small English town's worth of, of <laughs> yeah. refugees. Mm-hmm. What? I know. Huh? And they will they'll work for what's left of the NHS. Well, listen. Great. As in, as in everything in this fucking world, it goes back to Margaret Thatcher. It does. Yeah. <laughs> Because neoliberalism taught us that individuals reign above all else while we fund corporations so that they somehow, they can only run and the individuals are, they believe in an ideology that's sort of mm. fucking them up the arse every which But we'll cull the weak. That's right. And then, yeah. then it's your fault, actually. Mm. If yeah. Not one, yeah. it's your fault. And we're still in this thing. We're still in it now. And there's no sense of ever moving away from it because... What counts as a radical now in Western politics is like a oh my God. very dreary modern. <laughs> very dreary, yeah. yeah. 30 years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and absolutely. And this yeah. thing about, like, you know, it's a biological kind of inbuilt defence mechanism that we cannot, as humans, comprehend large numbers. Mm. If we could really comprehend the Holocaust, mm. we'd never get out of bed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Too so much. we can't. Mm-hmm. So we can't. And that's mm. how we live. And mm. that's why politicians have the ability to throw these numbers, 5,000, 1,000. And it not mean anything to us. Mm. Yeah. Big number. Yeah. Mm. Number we don't know. Doesn't really matter. Mm. All, the, all the while, you know, we're just sort of, we've become so galvanised that none of this stuff even goes in anymore. Everyone's so tired. They're so tired mm. that it's just hard enough to kind of push back, you know. And then you hear these, these tiny figures of, that are being boasted about, this is how many refugees we're bringing in. Mm. And if you really, if you took just a couple minutes to do the math and understand, well, if that was my street, what would that... If that was, like, my postcode, what would Mm. that actually look like? You'd very quickly realise, oh, my God, this is minuscule. Mm. But none... People don't have the time to do that. No, You know, they don't have the energy and the time. And that's how these nefarious... Mm. horrendous things just keep getting pushed down people's throats because mm. everyone's exhausted but exhausted. then also people can't see, foresee the richness that because as you said earlier we're all immigrants and mm. and like I, I remember coming to record an episode with you and I was bawling my eyes out before I came because mm-hmm. there was a street in the south side of Glasgow where there was a dawn raid happening oh, yeah. and the fucking neighbours stopped it Absolutely by simply sitting around the van. I, I was bawling. I All my friends were like, get down to the street and if people had to go to work, somebody took oh. their place and somebody would go to the shops and buy lunch and they did not move. And that van yeah. did, you know, that yeah, van got yeah. sent back and somebody from Refugee it's amazing Glasgow Charities is put up afterwards he said don't get it twisted we know you'll be back mm. but we will be here yeah. and that that mm. day right because it's hard not to feel fucking helpless as you say we would not get out, in the, out of bed in the morning if we really understood the weight of everything yeah. shit in this world but little moments like that and like mm-hmm. you know little moments where you someone has come over and you manage mm. to resettle them or yep. whatever it is like it shows mm. that we or do have fans. a choice oh, oh my back. god only yeah rejoice are, I don't know if oh you lordy oh lordy the, yeah this is protest in action right I know and this it is fucking works like you have power yeah right mm. we forget the power of, of humanity so much mm. we're, you know we're the only country we're the only country that detains indefinitely so there are IRCs. There are there, there were eleven of them, including one in Antrim. There are nine now. Uh, immigration removal centres. Famously, sit, they sit next to Gatwick Airport, or mm-hmm. they sit next to Luton, or they sit next to Heathrow. There are thirteen thousand unrepresented indefinitely detained, yeah. and that's what we need to start. We we need to start yeah. with that because about how many people know about these? From you Afghanistan. know, they're already here, yeah. but they can't. They're in limbo. Because they can't, they, their mm-hmm. asylum uh, application has been lost yeah. by the Home Office, you know. So, yeah. but you mentioned Orwell earlier, and I think a lot of this stuff is Orwellian. Like the first, we, we had a guest on to talk about prison abolition, who oh, was wow. yeah. he'd got out of prison a year before he'd been in prison for forty years, and <clears throat> um, mm. his sentence was basically doubled because he had kind of he'd been a, an activist within prison, yeah. and his 
he'd been in in this country. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he'd been in. So we don't have um, solitary confinement units in the UK. We have closed surveillance centres, which yeah. is the same thing. Yeah. And he'd been in there for years, and there was a person that w- had been in there for kind of thirty or forty years. Circa. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And we had this big discussion, didn't we, about kind of prison abolition and this idea of kind of indefinite detainment and removal of hope and mm. all this stuff. But sometimes I think the language isn't visceral enough to realise... No, it's not sexy. Indefinite detainment doesn't mm. tell me mm. what I need to know. Mm. Right. Mm. Like, mm. right. it mm. needs to be... Mm. You know, it's when people say non-consensual sex. No, that's rape. Because mm. non-consensual right. yeah. Right. Yeah. sex yeah. doesn't exist. Yeah. But there is an Orwellian component to all this stuff where you use language to kind of uh, sterilise really catastrophic things. Mm, mm. And I, there's this amazing book um, about the AIDS crisis that talks about just that, about the way that um, the American media kind of rewrote history to sterilise the mm, reaction mm, to AIDS. Mm, mm, mm. And kind of just said, in a sentence, the public had a problem with AIDS and then they got over it. Yeah, and it was like, yeah. wow! Never has mm. one sentence. We've got up the quilt. That'll do. A everyone. massive fucking yeah. movement of people who gave their life. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the, but it's the same thing. Detention center. You use these mm. terms, mm. and they sort of become meaningless, and that allows people to look away, mm. or turn away, or shut mm. their ears, or whatever. Mm. Um, and because they are not on your high street, in your face. Mm. We can all just pretend it's not happening, can't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the media is so complicit in this, yeah. you know, because there is there are very few outlets that are brave enough to use the real words the real for what's happening. Terms totally, and, you know, language is so veiled, isn't it? Like yeah. now, and it's like. Yeah. Mm, they, 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 you know, they. I mean, <laughs> sadly, this is my area of expertise and has been thus for the last six years. But they don't even provide translators in the IRCs anymore. You know, it's that level of inhumanity. So someone is in there. They, they, they hear English as a foreign, totally foreign language, foreign in the spiritual sense as well, and they don't even know that they're allowed that forty minutes in the library, in the prison you know, in Yarlswood or in Gatwick, where they get their free 40 minutes legal aid. Because we don't have legal aid anymore in this country. It doesn't yeah. exist. Uh, that doesn't... So what, what the the voluntary sector... Um, we have to sniff these people out, mm-hmm. literally. We, we're like sniffer dogs looking for vulnerable people. There's a guy that I speak to twice a week, Tumbe. He's from Uganda. Work that one out. That was 49 years ago. Yeah. He's now 81 and he's been in detention for the last 49 Fuck years. Hell. He has no family and guess what he did? He was a student and he had a banner. And he was arrested. He came he, he was came to the UK because he wanted to further his education. He was arrested and put in prison, first of all. And then they didn't know what to do with him in prison. Uh, so they put him in in detention and he he's been sitting in detention for all that time so and that ties in with Pretty Patel's family who 49 mm-hmm. years ago were granted indefinite leave to remain in this That's country right. so it's a, without getting too angry and dark on this podcast no I mean this is what we're all about I mean no, listen, it's the reality it's ludicrous this, this really <clears throat> interesting thing is that for the concern because because there's been a lot of really hateful kind of race based vitriol against Pratip Patel, which I think is just abhorrent. It is. And misogyny as well. Yeah. And I think that we know that we turn on female politicians in a way far harsher. Never yeah, yeah, yeah. Good grief. Right. Mm. But there's this is a strategy in the Conservatives about okay, well we've got a brown woman now. So that's it. Fight against that, mate. That's it. Right. What you're saying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there isn't. There isn't. There's nothing. And part of what. So in a in a utopia or the kind of utopian ideal we're working for, which is kind of equality across all kind of characteristics, you want a world where brown women can be dickheads. And yes, that's part of the thing, yes, right? Yes. They yes, don't all yes. have to be good. They don't. You, you want to have 
brown women dickheads, you want to have gay men dickheads. Like, yes. that's yeah. actual equality. We want to yeah. go to that point. Yeah, we do that too. We do that shit too. That's yeah. right. Everyone is just fallible yeah. and just human. Right. And we're just yeah. in this thing. Yes. But they use, they wheel Pretty Patel and Rishi Sunak out as like, look, tokenistic, very diverse, yeah. very diverse conservative cabinet. Mm, and mm, it's like, mm. yeah, okay, I mean, great. But like, a diverse group of arseholes is no, it's it's still a group of arseholes. Yeah, exactly. It's not actually helping anything. Kim's new album is <laughs> called A Diverse Group of Arseholes. Guests include Luke Manning on guess, vocals, yeah. Ian Shaw on Negroni, Negroni. Guest the arsehole. The guest arsehole. Do you think it, you know, you're talking about the, uh, a very good friend of mine's just been flicked off his job uh, for being pale, male and stale. You know, that whole cliche thing. Robert Elms, the great Robert Elms, who mm-hmm. is London. Yeah. So he's lost his, his weekly show, his daily show, and he's been shunted to the weekend. Do you think that there's a point um, where um, the Mail Online this morning called it religion diversity? Okay. Do you think there's a point, because you work in the arts, where we all have to go, right, let's all link hands and talk about this in a very sort of grown-up way and sort of find out why that's happening, why it's happening? Um, do you think, how, how does that, how, how do you sort of see that? Well, yeah, I think without sounding like Jim Davidson, you know. You know we, um, Me, I mean, not you. Sure. <laughs> it's a really tricky one, isn't it? You know, we did an episode on James Baldwin recently, and we talked about this interview that he gave, where this man had had acknowledged that in lots of his interviews, James Baldwin had talked about two of his three kind of major themes. He talked about race and he talked about class, but we hadn't talked about sexuality. Mm. And so he, he, and he said for, for him and a generation of kind of gay creatives, James Baldwin was a sort of... Massive. A massive kind of yeah, icon. Yeah. So he set up this interview, you know, specifically to talk about this thing. He asked him a question about, do you see a kind of sympathy, a kind of parity, some sort of acknowledged common struggle between black people and gay people? Do you see that there's Mm. this kind of link. And he said, no, no, I don't. Mm. Like, um, he said, for me, I I don't recognise any, a a lot of the sort of gay rights movement in my lifetime. I very much recognise sort of black working class within my lifetime. It's kind of what we were talking about before, where you have someone who devotes their life to um, the kind of liberation of a minority group. Mm. And then you hear that their views on another minority group mm. are very aggressive or yeah, very sort yeah, of yeah. anti. And I think one of the things that happens in activism in all forms is this sort of inward turmoil that mm. diverts our energy. Mm. So, it's competitive as well. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So. I just, you know, I'm part of this activist group and we had this meeting yesterday and the meeting was really about should we allow this member to join the group because they are also a member of another activist group mm. who has, have behaved in quite a sort of ugly way and should that be part of this thing. Now, that was kind of two hours of discussion which is wasted energy mm. in terms of the struggle mm. that we are yeah. on as activists. Mm. But so much of activist time is kind of faced inward yeah and i think uh, like with a lot of this stuff the amount we could get done if we just looked if we just focused outward but it's just it feels so tied up in identity that an emotive kind of Hmm. stuff that it just it feels very difficult to move past that you know Mm, mm, mm. even though i think that there's more that um, unites us than divides us. I do think, well, it's not we've we've not quite got that together yet. No, we pull that stuff together, yeah. and you know, like the the thing with the dawn raids, when you actually go arm in arm, and it doesn't matter what this person here or this person here believes, mm. we're just doing this as a linked chain, mm-hmm. and you can't get past. It mm-hmm. doesn't really matter, mm-hmm. but it's it's quite difficult to. I don't know. It's I guess in this. In the stage, it's maybe quite difficult to 
whip up that energy when we're all mm. pulled in all these directions. I don't know. Well, yeah, and yeah. I think what you're talking about in the sense of like seeing a lot of institutions and and well, a lot of institutions reflecting and, and probably hitting panic mode and going, fuck, mm. we are not up to scratch with our diversity mm-hmm. and our output mm-hmm. creatively, content-wise, with the people in our workplace, with our audience reach. Yeah. Ah, what do we do? Fucking fire everyone and try and hire lots of mm. fucking black people and gay people and young people. Are, ah, that's what everyone's doing, right? Because mm-hmm. they're fucking mm-hmm. panicking because they've not... Mm. Being hip to it mm-hmm. and have not been doing their job and mm. it's not been representative. So, I my I do feel that there are going to be situations where people that are incredibly good at their job and that have done a lot of amazing stuff are going to lose out. Lose out. Mm-hmm. But if that means that we create space for folk that otherwise would never yeah. have had that yeah. platform yeah. Yeah. I am happy to do that and, and it's about yeah. Yeah. The, the transfer of power yeah. 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 and yeah. anyone yeah. who's yeah. truly ready to embrace change yeah. will actively step down with dignity yeah. and give a Which bit of their exactly power what Robert absolutely right. absolutely I mean this is one example yeah. of a much wider <clears> thing <throat> but I yeah. do believe in the power of visibility well, cannot be underestimated mm, mm, and if it means mm, that people can see themselves right. reflected back at them in a truthful mm. way and an honest way I think, and an authentic I think way dis- that's I think, important I think this discussion is literally in transition at the moment yeah. it's literally people haven't found the language to be able to yeah. explain and it's it. all very binary it's cancel culture it is, and it's it is, yes, yes or yes, no it and it's yeah. but there needs to be it's the relinquishing of power and the sharing of resource and platform and like if I get a gig like I've been asked to create a show right mm-hmm. on like something the surrounding identity and community and I look at and I think okay well I've been given this opportunity right and actually there's a million people I know that would be would more eloquent yeah this, I know right? what you mean yeah but what can I do to involve them yeah. to platform their voices to champion what they do to do you know what I mean because I want them involved because I want us all to speak and it's all you know the things like that like surely more of that more of bringing together your network of people I learn so much from this and from Mm. the conversations I have with folk and like I just it's okay to be like I'm not sure but let me bring someone who has got it you know you you know you 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 use the word activism which um slightly sticks in my craw for Mm. the reasons why it sticks in everyone's craw but I remember um I interviewed uh, Maya Conforti, who's, who runs a, um, a registered charity in France called L'Auberge des Migrants, which just means uh, uh, village, home, safe space for, for migrants, because French call, well, there's a the, refugié means refugee, but they call migrant is the convenient word. And I said, I asked her, I said, what is activism? And she says, activism is making other people feel like you. Mm. Yeah. Which is about privilege, isn't it? It's It's about recognising... I thought, that's such a basic premise, isn't it? It is, absolutely. You know, I think it comes down to direction of travel, right? Yeah, yeah. I think we all feed into... Caitlin Moran talks about this. this, this, um, My hero. This uh, quilt (laughs) of pioneering. I know where you're going with this one, yeah. No, none of... You don't want to expect anyone or expect yourself to do everything and pioneer everything for everyone. But if we all took our square yeah. and our patchwork quilt, the patchwork quilt yeah. and we did our thing yeah. and we put them yeah. all together and we flicked out that quilt, it would stretch It would. That's the world. it. Magnificently, that's it. wouldn't it? And yeah. so I think that's part of the thing where you, you're always going to have these tensions between hard power and soft power. Are you the shouters? Are you the letter writers? Are you the protesters? Mm. Are you the, you know, are you assimilating? Are you, what, mm. what are you doing? But... If you recognise that the direction of travel is in the same direction, it doesn't really matter, does it? No. Well, and make we your patch. And we just do the patch and off we go. Off we go. I was watching people, I went to a Luca Manning gig the other night, which is very beautiful, with Jamie Safir, who's just had four stitches in his chin. You fucking drama Because his, his drag got caught up in the spokes of his bike. <laughs> He'll get over it. Bless his heart. Um, but you sang Small Time Town Boy. Mm. I've only ever heard you sing it live once, and that was at Peter Express Dean Street. And I was watching the audience and there were people in your audience that went because they'd read about you or, 
you know, they love the venue, and I love that about yeah. gigging. Don't you love that? It's gorgeous. Yeah. When you meet people, even at my grand old age, when people say, oh, I've never heard of you. Yeah, I've yeah, never yeah. heard you. I've New never faces. been to any of your gigs. And I'm thinking, and I'm going to bring all my friends, and you think, yeah, that's how this music shit grows, you know. But I was watching this, there was a guy who was probably in his 70s, sitting uh, opposite me. And when you were singing Small Time Boy, he just wiped away yeah, a tear, yeah. you know. And I just thought, that's what music can do. Yes, it's still here, and fucking Luca Manning's, he's carrying that mantle, he's pushing <laughs> that thing forward, you know. And also the thing is, you don't ram it down people's throats. No. You do it with, you do it artfully, you do it with beauty, you do it with art, you do it with... You do, and you do it with vulnerability, and yeah. I think that's the most important Absolutely. thing. And getting back to the Ronnie Scott thing, the thing I think that Ronnie Scott recognised about me and Mark, because Mark worked at Ronnie Scott's as well, but I think he had a hard time there, was the vulnerability thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, it, it, as an artist, if you can show your, if you can truly show your colours without. <laughs> That sort of knocking your steak and chips in your head or <laughs> shitting yourself. Or shitting yourself. <laughs> then you've got to just do it, haven't yeah, you? Absolutely. You know, you've just well, got to vulnerability do it. is universal, right? Yeah. And, and it's been yeah. across everything. It else. doesn't happen in conservative politics. No. No. It's not there. And if it is there, it's only women. And you know what? They leave. Yeah, yeah. Have I been pissed up at the red line with Anna Subri, with Heidi Allen, because they recognise the plight of refugees? Mm-hmm. Yes, I have. And then ten minutes later, they leave the fucking party, because mm-hmm. they recognise that they elevate themselves to beyond constituent level, and That's then right. they suddenly realise that they are surrounded by patriarchy at its mm-hmm. most it's rank too much. Uh-huh. stench. Yeah. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because you sang that at the gig, so we took John... Yeah, so John from our prison abolition episode. John, who'd been out of prison ah, for a year after 40 years inside, we wow. took him to Ronnie's, gave him his first taste of an IPA. Didn't like it. Didn't like it. <laughs> gave him his first taste of some cocktails. How long had he been out? He'd been out for about 13 months by the time we interviewed him. So he'd been in a hostel for most of that time. And he'd sort of just moved beyond the kind of really, really strict probation. So... After our podcast, we went out for a drink and it was like the first he'd been allowed to stay out late, you know. Gorgeous. Because um, he'd gone inside when he was, I guess, like 19. Oh, man, you know? yeah. Good grief. And so we went, yeah, we went to see this gig and... He's the kind of person that I want to see in Ronnie's class. Yeah, me too, because that was someone who I haven't seen in Ronnie's for a long time. Yeah. And, and like, it's really interesting when you see different people's kind of cultural reference points mix and I remember when you said you were going to do that song I remember mm. Matt leaning in and saying this is one of my favourite songs I don't know how he's going to do it <laughs> and then like halfway through the song he was like oh god and I was like yeah no <laughs> 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 and it was, just, it was this lovely moment of like everyone being like does Jimmy know you do it? no and do you know what I'm actually going to this is like a pilgrimage so I'm going to Mighty Hoopla Festival in Brockwell Park next week and one of the headliners is Jimmy Somerville yeah. So I'm going to have a full circle moment, no doubt, where I see eventually see this man live who was like the soundtrack of my childhood. Oh, he would. He's such. A, he's, he's adorable, by the way. Yeah. You know, I know him a little bit, and we have the battle of the falsettos. Yeah, yeah, me, that's the yeah, thing. Me, that's him, thing. and David McCalmont. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I wouldn't like to be anywhere near that fucking racket. Throw him all a bonio. But he oh. would he would love he would love that you I'm surprised that you that you, he hasn't made that connection he will he I haven't will. recorded it Sarah Jane Morris yeah I mean right yeah someone that is very much like she still works with him the they scene. do you know they do the kind of revival yeah, yeah don't yeah. leave me this way and all that yeah yeah I said you get you are you are still dancing around that stage girl and you got two fucking dodgy knees and one Amazing. hip working just living it. Don't leave me this way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but look, at this is what I mean. You, you, you orbit icons yeah. everywhere. Isn't everywhere listen. you find a brilliant person, Ian Shaw is connected. Literally, and right? we, and this is why we've been so desperate to get you on the podcast. Because after every fucking episode, I say to Kim like, 
yeah, Ian told me a story about that. Oh, or, yeah, or, yeah, I have yeah, like yeah. a thing, like, and it's it's just <laughs> I am so happy that I know you. Like, <laughs> I'm going to be sitting for the rest of my life going, I'm so happy that yeah. I met. And well, Jimmy Somerville, if you're listening to this podcast, do you remember when it was oh eight nine eight double seven double seven double six? We chatted on a gay phone line <gasps> many years ago, and I knew it was you, but you didn't know it was me. And you invited me round at two thirty a.m. in the morning, and I love you all the more for that. Why? Did, please tell me you went. You didn't, I didn't go. Oh, I knew, why did you not? Because I was I was shy because it was Jimmy and I loved him and he was at the time he just moved to Brighton and I was that uh, is yeah incredible. yeah oh eight nine eight chat lines and I, I love you know that. I knew he was <laughs> we know each other but we don't we you know we have. Obviously, we've met many times. We've not hung out like this, but he would love that what you do. See you at Brockwell Park. But that's him Jimmy. and Steve. Steve wrote that. Steve and Jimmy Bronski. That's amazing. Who I knew really well. Steve, right, I think Steve we're, we're, at a, we're out of time. No, well, I think we're at a crossroads. I need a wee so desperately. Yeah, no, so we're I, gonna, we're gonna just do it. We're gonna. Okay, great. Yeah, I mean, rip off those dungarees. Um, no, listen, Ian Shaw, you're a fucking delight. We love you. Thank I you. I forgot so much. we were even recording. I know, oh yeah, it's all on there. Such a wonderful time. Um, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.